Zero Business podcast is brought to you in association with Edie's Sustainable Business Covered podcast and is the only place where corporate sustainability and energy professionals can get under the skin of the world's most ambitious emissions reductions targets. So welcome and enjoy the journey to a net zero future. Welcome along to ED's Net Zero Business Podcast, our spin-off podcast series focusing on the growing need for businesses to align their strategies with climate science by setting and delivering net zero emission strategies. I'm ED's senior reporter, Sarah George, and it's great to be bringing you this episode, this being the episode for May 2022. Since the UK government legislated for net zero by 2050 in 2019, many other countries have followed suit. It is estimated that more than 90% of global GDP is now covered by national and or regional net zero targets. So across the world, more and more businesses are attempting to get ahead of this political curve, strengthening their energy strategies and carbon commitments and pledging to become net zero. And that's why this series was born, really. It sees Edie speaking with the trendsetters and trailblazers that have set these targets providing insight on how they are developed and how they are delivered. In 35 minutes or less, each of these episodes provides insight into a specific organisation's net zero approach, covering target setting, action on the ground, engaging internally and externally, and whether offsetting plays a part. We've had a range of different organisations guest speaking on this series since we launched back in early 2020. To name a few, we've had IHG, the National Trust and the Co-op. Um, And for today's episode, we're actually welcoming back one of the organisations that we had guesting on this podcast last year, um, and that is EY, who are kindly sponsoring this episode. I'm sure that EY probably needs no introduction. It is one of the largest professional services firms in the UK and indeed in the whole world. It has more than 310,000 employees across the world and a client base, including some of the world's largest businesses across virtually every major sector. When we spoke to EY for the Net Zero Business podcast last year, specifically it's for the March 2021 episode if you'd like to go back and refresh your memory, the company had already achieved carbon neutrality for global operations and was on the verge of achieving carbon negativity for global operations. Fast forward to today and that goal of carbon negativity has been achieved and EY is still working towards a 2025 net zero target. The company has also, since we last spoke, outlined big plans to help clients accelerate their own climate plans. In February of this year, EY confirmed the launch of EY Carbon, a new sustainability service practice backed with 100 million Great British pounds of investment from the company. The practice's purpose is to help companies design and deliver their net zero transition plans ahead of the introduction of the government mandate here in the UK. Here on this episode to update us on EY's progress in driving the net zero transition, so both in terms of its own business and in terms of its wider influence across the private sector, is Rob Dopal. 
Rob is the Managing Partner for Sustainability at EY UK and Ireland, and he is the man who is heading up EY Carbon. So without further ado, let's play this month's guest Net Zero Business interview that's with Robert EY in full. Yes, a warm welcome to the virtual ED podcast studio for this episode, Rob. How are you? Very well, very well. Uh, I'm on leave tomorrow, so I'm busily preparing for a couple of days away from the office, So, but I'm all good. Great. Well, thank you for making the time. And yeah, by the time this episode goes goes live, you will have been on the trip and hopefully be <laughs> um, refreshed and reinvigorated and ready to think about net zero even more. Correct, <laughs> correct. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time um, today. So normally on our Net Zero Business podcast, we talk exclusively about um, an organisation's own net zero plans in-house. Um, and that's where I'm going to start. But then after that, Rob is going to talk about EY Carbon, um, which promisingly is one of the first things that comes up on Google suggestions now when you Google um, EY, and which we covered the launch of earlier this year. So looking forward to diving into that a bit later. Um, but just to start with EY's own journey um, to reducing emissions. So EY actually did a podcast with us um, last year talking about how they reached carbon neutrality and then later carbon negativity um, for their operations and how that feeds into a 2025 net zero target. So if we could maybe start, Rob, by recapping on those targets and um, yeah, getting a progress update on them, please. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's great to hear that uh, news on Google. I'll have to immediately do that after the, after this podcast. Um, but yeah, you're right. So we've got a really aggressive set a, a really aggressive uh, target to be uh, net zero by FY25, so 2025, against the FY19 baseline year. And for us, you know, we're a, obviously a professional services organisation. Uh, we're, we're large and we're in over 180 countries. I think we've got 330,000 people last count. So there are um, lots of facets to our business, but from a, from a carbon perspective, you know, travel is the big uh, element of our our emissions and our scope. So we've got a big focus on business travel and reducing our business travel. So we've got a target um, to reduce our travel emissions by 35% um, by FY25, our total emission, emissions by by 40%. Um, and the reality is, I suppose, we've had an incredible foot up, I suppose, uh, over the last two years because um, with with COVID and with all the travel restrictions as a result of COVID, we have dramatically reduced our travel emissions. And the challenge really for us now is as we sort of come back to an, an element of sort of normal life and, and things like business travel uh, start to reappear is how do we ensure we hold on to some of the habits we've created in the last uh, last few years to really um, embed them into the culture of our business and embed them into our, our way of working so we can hit our FY25 target. Um, I have to say, Sarah, I sit here uh, a lot more confident and comfortable around hitting our 2025 target. I think when we made it, um, it was pretty bold and ambitious, um, but I think we've had a little bit of uh, help and I suppose every every cloud has a silver lining. That's probably one of the benefits from, from COVID, isn't it? it? It taught us all that we don't necessarily have to travel as much as perhaps we had in the past or much as we perhaps thought we needed to. Um, so with that sort of wind behind us, uh, we're making really, really strong progress on our target against our net zero target. 
Great, and yeah, we can dive a little bit more into work to reduce emissions to date, especially travel so far. Um, and you say that everyone's looking at this, but I've I've covered this month report from Transport and Environment saying, well, actually, not every big business is looking at keeping the travel emissions down, and that's something we really need to look at. So I'm sure that will be a really interesting talking point for a lot of um, people. But something I wanted to touch on first is we've we've talked here very briefly and glossed over it about carbon negativity, carbon neutrality and net, net zero. So how does EY differentiate between carbon neutral and carbon negative and, and net zero? Yeah, we do, uh, as an industry, like to talk in confusing language, don't we? Which um, I think is part of the challenge. We need to simplify some of this. But I suppose from our perspective, we talk about... Um, carbon neutrality and actually being um, carbon negative, both of those um, are highly sort of reliant on on the purchase of offsets. So, so we actually hit um, our carbon neutral in 2021. And that was primarily because we had made arrangements to uh, to purchase some offsets um, to to get us moving on our journey. And, and then, of course, we we had the, the the COVID and the pandemic, so we didn't travel as much as we didn't. So we sort of had a, a double hit of, we had some uh, offsets that we uh, acquired, and then we had a sort of dramatic reduction in our emissions, which meant that all of a sudden when you added it all up, we were into a carbon um, uh, negative situation, which is good. I'm not saying it's bad. It's not That's not a bad thing. But the real challenge, I think, and that's what where net zero comes in, is you've actually have to uh, reduce your total emissions. You can't just offset them. Uh, and so whilst we're sort of celebrated being carbon negative, um, carbon neutral in 2020 and then carbon negative in 2021, you know, we really want to focus, you know, our attention on the total emissions, the absolute emissions reduction, which will get us to to net zero. And I think, you know, when we talk about another uh, terminology, is SBT aligned? Have you got the science-based target? Uh, aligned net zero plan that that is all around ensuring that you're not doing things just by offsets but you're actually reducing your actual emissions and that is obviously the biggest talking point in net zero really isn't it is is um, which emissions are being addressed and to what what extent of being are they being addressed and then with offsetting a question we get asked a lot is is it the right thing to purchase offsets early should we activate them maybe a little bit um, later. So why did EY choose to go for, yes, we will activate the offsets fairly early. And how do you make sure on top of that, that you keep prioritising reduction? Because some businesses that we have spoken to said, well, we're not going to activate them yet, just in case. It's a good question. And I suppose, I mean, I would encourage all businesses to, to start to explore this market, this offset market, because most organisations, I say most, um, probably should define what I mean by most, but but when you go through the journey uh, on a decarbonisation journey, there will be some processes, there'll be some parts of the business which um, you can reduce, but maybe not eradicate. Uh, and therefore, there will be some emissions, I think, to get to net zero, and that's the whole point of having a net zero target, is there will be an element of, of carbon that we can then seek to go one step further and, and offset that carbon by you know, investing in nature-based solutions or investing in carbon reduction technologies to you know, remove um, or offset even more carbon from the atmosphere than, than, we, you know, than we are, are emitting. Um, so I think this partly is it's understanding how that market operates. It's a fairly nascent market. Um, there are, as we as we know, there are sort of 
good offsets and not so good offsets. We've got some challenges, I think, around uh, potential double counting of these these offsets. It's a unregulated market. Um, that was part of COP26, wasn't it? With Article 6, was to try and put some rules in to this market to tighten tighten up so we could be more, all of us could place more trust in in the offset market. I think it's a market that's going to be, it's going to develop. We're going to uh, need to regulate it um, and put some rules around it. But I think, you know, our point of view is, and my personal point of view is, it's like, it, it, it's it's not the answer. Um, there aren't enough um, offsets on the planet to, to offset what we need. Um, so e even at the moment where not all businesses, as you say, have sort of triggered the procurement of offsets, um, you know, there aren't that many remaining if you think about the sort of the, gro the global scale. So um, yeah, we invested early. I think we wanted to understand that market. We wanted to understand um, the solutions available in that market. Uh, obviously, we want to also advise our clients uh, around uh, that market. And I think participating in yourself is a really important way to learn um, both the positives and also the the watchouts in that market. Um, but as I said, you know we're really focused now as a business uh, around how we reduce our absolute emissions, and we're right in the heart now of discussing things like carbon budgets um, and implementing that within the business, which is you know some companies looking at implementing a carbon price or, or maybe just a complete carbon budget. Um, and that's where you know I think it gets really real for for businesses. Um, and at least we're finding that is having those discussions around actually limiting and and putting accountability into business units and to you know, parts of the business, our management teams, uh, to to take accountability and responsibility for emissions, just like they would take accountability and responsibility for financial metrics, is um, you know is when this starts to become really real, uh, and when we start to see I think real you know, real real benefits, real behavioural change, and real action, but also it starts to to highlight some of the real challenges and, and how hard and difficult this is to to create um you know a new paradigm for how we how we operate as a business clearly we're going to have to get you back on next year to talk about things like carbon budgets and carbon um pricing but i did want to come back to the reductions now that we've talked about the offsetting um as as well there has been some great progress to cut emissions in certain um areas as you say steep reductions in some cases not complete eradication um in all cases so it would be great to hear about some of the progress and your learnings on decolonizing things like as you mentioned um, travel I'm presuming that um, offices would also be a source of emissions um, as well but if you do look at the businesses emissions accounting there has been a steep reduction since 2019 um, already both pre and post lockdown yeah correct and um you know, we've uh, talked a little bit about what we've done uh, on our on our travel side, and as I said, we're we're now trying to sort of consolidate the gains, if you like, by by implementing the carbon budgets. And a lot of those carbon budgets are going to be focused on uh, travel because that's um, an element that I think business, in at least in our business, that operational managers can control. Um, there are other things I think like our our office footprint um, and you know, reducing our overall electricity usage. Um, by you know working with our landlords and um, as an office providers to to improve the efficiency of our office suite, uh, we've also been procuring you know we've got 100% renewable energy now for uh, for our offices in the UK. We've entered into a long-term PPA uh, to secure that, um, and are now a member of the RE100 um, as as a part of that. So we're doing a lot on I suppose our 
direct controllable scope one, scope two uh, emissions. And then maybe we sort of come into what we're doing. And, uh, and obviously, so with our scope three, which isn't as extensive perhaps as many businesses being a, you know, a, a people business. But we are also working with our, our supply chain, maybe not, as I said, as extended as many organizations. But even with our supply chain, we're trying to set set um, set targets for them around their own reduction and supporting and encouraging them to ask us if, if there's stuff that we can do to help them in their journey to, to reduce some of their emissions. Thanks for the overview. Probably we'll have people listening that have really big um, supply chain emissions feeling a bit envious of your of your <laughs> role um, and doing that. But it's clear that somewhere that EY can have a really big influence um, on emissions across the economy is in yeah beyond scope three um, even and in in work with with clients um, and across the private sector. Um, as well. And as I mentioned um, at the beginning of our chat, Rob, I'm aware that you were selected to lead the EY Carbon um, team earlier this year. So it'd be good to come on to that, to come on to the business's work to yeah, engage with, with clients um, on, on this. So a bit of background about um, what EY Carbon is and, and why it was, was set up would be good. Yeah, no, uh, thanks, Sarah. So I think this sort of started with EY Carbon when I was lucky enough to go to COP uh, last year. Um, and I think it was a Thursday morning with uh, Rishi Sunak with a little green uh, little green box, little green suitcase. And he announced that all uh, UK companies, all UK listed companies would need to publish a net zero plan by the end of uh, 2023, uh, which we thought was a really positive announcement. A little bit of a shock, I must admit. I don't think anyone saw that necessarily coming. I don't know if it had been sort of publicised a lot in advance. Um, but obviously, that puts a lot of demand on, on companies to get their act together around their decarbonisation plans. Because, of course, once you've published that plan, um, it's in the public domain. So you are obliged to, to, to meet it and to do something about it. And if you don't, uh, you will get called out. And that's one of the, I suppose, the slight concerns and the potential unintended consequence of, of making organisations publish those detailed plans is you know, what we need is for organisations to be really ambitious in those plans and be really bold in the time frame. And you sort of, there's always risk in doing that, right? So if I, if I really go after an aggressive timescale, an aggressive ambition, um, what if I don't meet it? What if I miss it? And what's going to be the impact on our business, both from a reputational perspective um, of, of missing a target that I set out? So I think this exercise between now and the end of next year to, for organisations you know, to come forward with their decarbonisation plans is, is, is so critical for the UK to take that leading position you know, globally. So we saw you know, a real need, and I think uh, if post that announcement, your clients were were talking to us around the fact that they need some support on the creation of these decarbonisation plans. I, I think, I mean, you sort of put out there a 2040 ambition or you know, a 2050. Hopefully, you know, thankfully, I think we're seeing 2050 come back in now to so 2040, 2030. But, th but that's still a long timescale for companies to plan on. There's some some sectors will will plan uh, that that long term, but many sectors don't really plan out that that long. So it's a new muscle that needs to be sort of tested and a new skill that needs to be sort of created in organizations to start thinking about these really long-term structural you know, su 
supply chain industry change plans. Um, so yeah, so we, we've created EY Carbon, we've stood that up in our business with that primarily primary focus to you know, support clients on their decarbonisation journey. It's starting with right now, Sarah, around helping them with the planning. Um, and actually, I don't think it's a linear, in fact, of, you know, you, you get a plan and then you move into delivery. I think actually it's it's almost setting up that planning function that will live and breathe and be ongoing because you know, innovation, technology changes, et cetera, mean that you're going to be constantly churning that plan. You're going to be constantly adjusting it. So, you know, our, our focus on EY Carbon is really to help organizations think through that and, and almost create that new capability within their business uh, because they're going to need it for, for the long term. And then obviously then also to help them through uh, not just plan for net zero, but the transforming of the business. So how do you coordinate? How do you manage that transformation of the business? And then thirdly, the third pillar for us is all around building trust. So it's one thing to come out with a with a pledge. Uh, it's even better if you can back up that pledge with a plan. But you are going to have to get to proof points pretty quickly. You know, using uh, those proof points that you're actually delivering against the plan, communicating that effectively to all your stakeholders, letting them know about the challenges, letting them know about the successes, and being very honest with with your stakeholder group. I think is key to building trust. And if I look at what we're all going to need on this really difficult journey is we're going to need a lot of trust between people that they're doing the right thing, that they're, they're trying their best. As I said before, um, I'm all for ambitious targets. I would much prefer for people to set an ambitious target and maybe just miss it than set a really safe target and, and meet it easily. It's that thing that you see on the on the sign in people's bathrooms often, isn't it? Shoot for the moon and you'll land among the stars. Yeah, correct, correct. <laughs> Which is super corny, but I guess it does ring true in terms of, yeah, big um big bold sustainability um goals. And you've mentioned there's something really important about yeah making sure that this goes beyond tick box. I feel like this is something we get asked a lot about transition plans, which is one, how do we make sure they go beyond um, tick box and then two how do we make sure that they're actually a plan um, and that they're actually credible um, obviously it's great to see the government progressing the transition plan task force to deal with the with the latter um, part part of that but thank you for the overview of how we deal with that that first um, part I did just I did just want to get a flavor of how EY Carbon is is working already so what sort of businesses are you seeing demand from is it the people that are going to be um, affected by the transition plan mandate, so big listed companies, hopefully some heavy emitting companies. Yeah, it's. Um, I would say at the moment, yeah, you know, the the it's the heavy emitters. Um, if I think about sort of maybe if I can simplify it down, sort of two two sections of corporate landscape. You have a a group of organisations and sectors that are in a sort of transform to survive uh, area. So they have to change. There is a burning platform, uh, pardon the pun, and there, there is a, you know, they are facing existential threats. So they have to change. Um, and their organizations have, have been on this journey for a while. So you know, this isn't something that's just just um, come out the back of COP26 and Rishi's announcement. Uh, so we are, we are and have been for, you know, for quite some time supporting clients in, in that space. And I think we're seeing just a further and further acceleration of urgency for the transform to survive and, and maybe come back to that in a moment. But, you know, I feel really 
in many ways incredibly optimistic and positive about just how much change is happening. If I look at things like energy transition, I think it's accelerating. I think we're making, you know, it's never never going to go fast enough, but I think we're, we are making huge, huge progress in large areas of energy transition, maybe less so in others. But on the other side of the spectrum, I think you've got this sort of, I call it transform to win. And I say that specifically because I think sometimes to your point around tick box exercise, you know, this isn't all about compliance and this isn't all about sort of downside and neg negative. We're going to have to put more cost in my business or more cost in the supply chain, or I'm going to have to you know, re-engineer the business to make it more sustainable. And that's not necessarily going to be good for my business. I think complete opposite. I think there's huge opportunity for businesses who you know, grab the mantle and and get ahead of this and accelerate. And they're the ones I think who, um, you know, I say we're having many more discussions with in the last six months than we probably had in the preceding two years. So I do think that is one of the lasting impacts of COP26, actually. It, it did bring it, particularly in this country, because we were lucky enough to host it, uh, much more into to the forefront. Um, we were, and I think a great campaign with Nigel Topping to, you know, the race to zero to get the pledges out there from companies. And of course, now they have to react to that. Um, and a lot of those organizations that perhaps have got many areas of sustainability they can pull on. And I know I'm focusing very much in this conversation about carbon, but um, there's a whole section of, of our corporate world that haven't really thought deeply or, or in a really structured way around how they're going to decarbonize their business. Um, so that that's that's the second area where, you know, I'd say we're probably still doing more. The majority of our work and support is on the transform to survive, but more and more now, I think, in this transform to win sector. Those are some great sound bites. I'm sure that if I was a CEO and someone said transform to survive and then transform to win, um, that would be much more gripping than any of the negative um, associations that, that might come with this. So delivering this inspiration and embedding it. Um, so I did want to close by diving in really to how we can really make sure that businesses have the right governance structures to do this, because something we've seen at ED, ED is more than 20 years old. Um, and when we launched it, it would definitely be the case that the sustainability plan was over here, uh, the business plan was over here. But now for a lot of businesses, especially the ones that you're talking about, the sustainability plan either is the full business plan or is most of the business plan or is inherent in it. It's often paired with things like growth, innovation, product proposition and things like that. Um, so how how is your team working to make sure that the governance is is right for that? That we have people that are aware and do really want to lean into this and get the full opportunities rather than yeah ticking the box and and writing it off as as a negative yeah i mean it's such a great question and i think um you know I look across esg i think yeah there's governance is probably the one that people perhaps don't quite understand as much you know, sort of environment you can understand what that is that's all about how you, you know, metrics around how you're performing and how you're harming or, or protecting the environment um, social around what impact you're having on society. But this is a governance thing. So like, what is that? Um, and I think you're absolutely, absolutely spot on. Uh, and and that is the challenge uh, for many corporates at the moment, our business included, is you're going to have to make a, a, a load of trade-off decisions as we go through this decarbonisation journey. Uh, and as you rightly say, you're going to pull together different parts of the business. You know, all businesses have got limited capital to deploy. And 
all businesses have always got difficult choices about where to deploy that capital. And this is no this is no different. This is just another um, demand on the business and the demand on that business capital. So how you govern that, uh, how you um, you know how you set set up the operating model for your business is is absolutely paramount. I I, I remember back when you know I'm a bit old now, uh, a bit depressing, but uh, when digital was like the it was all about having a digital strategy. And I worked with a brilliant colleague who was a bit of a lone, a lone voice in saying like, no, 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 you're getting it all wrong. Like you don't need a digital strategy. You just need your strategy, but your strategy has to be fit to work in a digital world. And, and I think this is a huge parallel to where we are now with sustainability. You know, we, we have for a long time sort of put the sustainability strategy sort of over to one side and I've got the strategy for my business and, and I've got a sort of a, a corporate sustainability strategy, and this is what I do in this space. And that needs that that's changing and needs to change fundamentally. Your business strategy needs to be sustainable. You don't need a sustainability strategy. You need a strategy that's sustainable. And with that mindset, your all your governance structures um, will support a sustainable business and will support decisions around sustainability. So it's things like, so what does that mean in practice? It's things like, how do you bring carbon pricing? How do you bring um, natural capital? How do you bring other metrics into capital decisions, capital allocation processes, which predominantly, you know, for for many businesses and many corporates, you know, we've all lived up with internal rate of return reporting. We do a business case and it's all about the financial metrics. And then you might have a little paragraph underneath it, which talks about sort of the the broader impact. But now we've actually, you know, we've got ways in which we can bring some of the broader impact and put a financial value on it and put it into our models, which will help with the decision making, which will help with the allocation of capital, taking into account not just financial performance, but uh, you know ESG performance as well. Great. And I can think of no better and more inspiring note to to end this on. I'm aware that carbon itself is, as we mentioned in the beginning, a bit jargon, um, heavy, a bit numbers um, heavy. So great to end with a a broader discussion about good governance. Um, Rob, I'm aware you have a lot to do before you sign off for the weekend, so I will let you get going. And thank you so much for your time. Sarah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Yes, a big thank you once again to Rob for his time and we're looking forward to following future net zero developments from EY, both in terms of its internal work and its client facing engagement. So after speaking with Rob, we have now reached the net zero news in brief part of this episode, the segment of this podcast series where we pull out three major headlines from the global net zero conversation from the past four weeks. So for today's episode, I think it it would be remiss of me not to start with this major green policy story, and that is the Repower EU plan from the EU. Wednesday 18th of May saw the EU tabling a €300 billion plan to end fossil fuel imports from Russia by 2027. Um, And the aim of the plan is to also be aligned with decarbonisation in line with the bloc's 2030 climate goals. So on the road to net zero by 2050, it's targeting a 55% reduction in emissions against a 1990 baseline this decade. So the Repower EU plan increases the bloc's renewable energy targets and energy efficiency targets, 
and it provides increased funding for technologies including wind, insulation and rooftop solar. Nonetheless, some disappointment has been expressed at plans for short-term investment in new fossil fuel import deals and liquid natural gas storage. And some people had also hoped for a bigger focus on nuclear, despite the political difficulty of doing so. For the second story for this episode, I'm going to stay on the topic of the energy transition. SSE has this month launched a new Powering Net Zero Pact, and this is a set of joint industry commitments designed to deliver the transition to net zero energy systems by 2050 at the latest, and to ensure that this process is economically and socially just and fair. Also joining the pact at this stage are the likes of Vestas and Siemens Energy. Collectively, the signatories so far represent annual turnover in excess of 55 billion Great British Pounds. Lastly, we're going to zoom in on the UK specifically and turn our attentions to the public sector. Cluttons has published the results of a net zero themed survey with decision makers from 50 UK councils. And that survey found that 75% of these local authorities are not yet in the true delivery stage of their net zero plans. Financial constraints were found to be the greatest barrier to progress. And that's this month's Net Zero News in Brief and about all we have time for for this episode. So a big thank you for tuning in. And once again, thank you to our friends at EY for sponsoring this episode and guest speaking. Before I do sign off, though, I want to make you aware of our new Net Zero Business Barometer report. If this podcast has been of interest to you, I'm sure the report will be as well. The Barometer report is free to download and it details the findings of our recent Net Zero themed survey of more than 250 professionals. Grab your copy to see a snapshot of decarbonisation ambitions, opportunities and challenges across the private sector. You can get your copy of the Barometer report at ed.net forward slash content forward slash download. Once again, the URL is ed.net forward slash content forward slash download. So that really is all we have time for on this episode of the Net Zero Business Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this episode um, and if you have you can access all past ED podcast episodes on our SoundCloud, Apple, Google and Spotify. You can also subscribe to the podcast on any of these platforms to make sure you never miss a future episode. But for this episode specifically it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.